Hello, everyone, and welcome to the IPA Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast, where we talk about what action the board took at today's meeting, why they took that action, and how it impacts your practice. My name is Casey Fisak. I am IPA's Vice President of Public Affairs, and I am joined today by Sue Mears from the Board of Pharmacy. Thanks for joining us, Sue. No problem. Quite uh, the meeting agenda today. I know I feel like I say that a lot on these uh, podcasts, but you guys uh, really had a marathon today and managed to get through a lot of agenda items, including quite a bit of rule changes that we will talk about today. I want to start off, though, uh, outside of the proposed uh, notices for rules and adoption of rules and quickly hit on some of the board discussion around other business. First and foremost, uh, the board discussion on the FDA Memorandum of Understanding regarding compounding. Sue, this is not my area of expertise by any means, but can you maybe talk about the board discussion uh, regarding the FDA MOU? Yeah, certainly. So this MOU has been many, many, many years in the making. Um, and so the end of October, FDA finally published their final version of the Memorandum of Understanding um, that states can enter into if they choose. It's not required. Um, and it, it deals with human compounded drug products. And so if a state enters into the MOU, then that allows the pharmacies in that state to um, ship into other states um, compounded prescriptions in excess of 5% of their total compounded volume. If a state does not enter into the, to the MOU, then the pharmacy is limited to shipping out of state only no more than 5% of their compounded products. Um, so it's a way to um, for FDA to kind of just be alert to pharmacies that are doing more widespread compounding. Um, and so I think the board is probably leaning towards entering into this um, MOU with FDA. They do have a full year to make that decision since it was published. So they have until next October um, to actually sign it if they're going to. Um, so what they talked about at this meeting is wanting to get a little bit more input from stakeholders. So they're planning on sending out some press releases and communications um, to pharmacies to solicit feedback on um, what pharmacies and pharmacists think about entering this MOU. Great. Thank you, Sue. And uh, I think the most important note there maybe is to stay on the lookout um, if you may be impacted by this to provide feedback when the when the board sends out those communications. So I think that's always helpful to know. And the board does a great job of, of trying to gain feedback from stakeholders when uh, a potentially impactful decision like this comes down. So something to keep note of and, and stay on, on the watch for. Well, Sue, the next topic I wanted to cover uh, is one that I'm sure you've put a lot of work in on so far, but the board did decide to move forward with uh, two uh, draft pieces of legislation that will be submitted for pre-filing. Do you maybe want to hit on both of those, the first dealing with um, controlled substances and then um, more of the changes that relate to the actual Pharmacy Practice Act itself? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so the first one is, um, like you mentioned, the Controlled Substances Act um, proposed bill. Um, and this does a couple of things. One is it just um, tries to align more completely the Iowa Controlled Substances Act with the Federal Controlled Substances Act. Um, and then the other piece 
is to uh, permanently schedule the substances that have been uh, scheduled by DEA in the last year. Um, so the board will throughout the year temporarily change code to put those substances into the CSA, but it's only temporary. And we have to go to the legislature every session and ask them to make those changes permanent. So that's what part of this bill does. Um, and then switching over to the, the Practice Act bill, um, the board is looking for several changes into code. Um, a lot of it is um, just technical cleanup. Um, the board's hoping for technicians um, to remove the limitation on the one-year registration uh, for a tech trainee so that they can look at that and rule to either make it a longer registration or allow for renewal. Uh, they like the language for delegation of functions in the pharmacy to, to be um, a little bit more vague so that the board can look at that from a rules perspective. Um, they would like to require outsourcing facilities to have been inspected by their home state regulatory authority within the last two years prior to um, their application so that we can make sure that they are compliant with CGMP. Um, it seeks to allow the board to share information with FDA um, when we've got information that we've collected on compounded human drug products, for example, when we're entering into an MOU with FDA. And then it puts into code um, the provisions of pilot demonstration research projects um, just to get it into code and cleaner than having it out there in the just Iowa acts from 2011. Uh -huh. um, so nothing earth shattering, but just cleaning up um, and making things more clear. Yeah, well, I I know uh, that there's some important priorities here for the board. So, you know, hopefully they can, uh, these will be viewed as relatively non-controversial, which they should be uh, and have yeah. your time of moving through. So appreciate that update. And uh, those will be submitted here probably within the next week, right? And then, yep, yep. Always hard to say when the LSA will finish up drafting those, but probably by early January or before those bills should be available. Yeah. Yep. And then we'll be back to the legislative session, which just to note, the board did uh, discuss and vote to designate. Uh, the board's executive director, Andrew Funk, as the, a designated lobbyist for this legislative session, as they have in the past year. So Andrew will be able to advocate for the board's bills. But they also voted to allow uh, the board vice chair. Brett's the vice chair, correct? Yep, he sure is. Vice chair Brett Barker to uh, represent the board at the Capitol as well. So two faces up there that can advocate for board bills. Uh, so... Uh, good to see and look forward to working with Andrew and uh, Brett up at the Capitol this year. All right, Sue, let's get into uh, the meat of the agenda here relating to rules uh, and proposed changes to rules. Quite a bit of uh, proposed adoptions and proposed notices. So uh, as I talked to you beforehand as we were planning the podcast, I am going to defer to your judgment on uh, some of the more uh, impactful rules that that you see coming down the pipeline, um, and maybe we'll start with um, the rule, the proposed rule uh, and proposed adoption, I should say, of the rule that extends the uh, local protocol uh, immunization rules. So this has been a saga as well, uh, going back to um, the passing of statewide protocols in the state, which allowed for 
pharmacists to order and administer immunizations, um, and then uh, the sunsetting of the old immunization rules that required a local protocol. While it, it took longer than expected uh, to move along, uh, particularly uh, Iowa Medicaid, to adopt rules that allow pharmacists to be the prescriber, essentially, of immunizations. And in the meantime, we've had to extend now twice the old local protocol rules to make sure that there was no gap in coverage. So, Sue, can you uh, fill us in on, on this rule and essentially uh, conforming to that extension? Did I characterize that right? Yeah. Yep. So, like you mentioned, um, that with the, the delay in implementation of recognizing pharmacists um, as providers, um, somebody, I'm assuming IPA was instrumental in that, was able to get um, an, amend an amendment in this uh, late 2020 COVID legislative session and added a little piece into House File 2627 that authorized extending that repeal one more year. Um, so what this, uh, what the board did yesterday is they voted to adopt um, and make effective the rule that then just um, matches that to say that the physician signed immunization protocol can be utilized through June 30 of 2021. Um, so just another reminder that you can still use those, but June 30, 2021 is the last day that those can be used and you'd have to switch over to uh, the states uh, or the board's uh, statewide protocol for immunizations. Yes, and uh, like many things COVID related, that was slightly delayed because session was suspended for three months and then that bill didn't pass yeah. until June, so it all got pushed back a little bit. But uh, like you said, important to know that you still can utilize those local protocols until uh, next July, essentially. Yeah. So do you want to talk, uh, moving on, about the changes to uh, Chapter 10 controlled substances that were discussed at today's meeting? Yeah, and there were there were several, and people yeah. can certainly get on the board's website and look at the agenda and, and look at all of the documents. So I'll just mention a couple um, that I think relate most to practice. Um, and one of them was adopting um, the ARC 5155C and the piece that I think is important to note um, is that it removes um, the requirement on prescriptions to identify the supervising physician on prescriptions issued by um, a physician's assistant. Um, so that's something that was a bill during the 2020 legislative session that 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 requirement on that prescription was removed. And so this is just cleaning up the rule um, that those that information doesn't have to be on the prescription anymore. Um, and then the other piece that I'll highlight um, was adopting um, and, and finalizing what had been published as ARC 5155C, and that removes the language in Schedule 5 um, for FDA-approved cannabidiol-containing products. So the Epidiolex um, is no longer, according to FDA, and, and the federal hunt bill is no longer considered a controlled substance. So this adoption just makes that um, official that it there's no conflict then with federal regulation. Gotcha. And thank you for noting there were several proposed changes to Chapter 10 on the agenda today. Yeah. Does that cover it then for the proposed adoption, Sue? Maybe we could talk about some of the proposed notices that uh, we yeah. have for yep. rulemaking. 
Sure. Uh, and I believe the first one I have on my list is the proposed notice uh, surrounding Chapter 37 and uh, changes to the PMP. Yeah. Yep. So the board did vote to file for notice. So it'll go out for public comment to amend Chapter 37, and that's the PMP chapter. And so the bulk of this um, rulemaking implements Senate File 2120 from the um, 2020 legislative session. And so the primary pieces of this would be to require the reporting of dispensing of Schedule 5 controlled substances, and that would include the sale of an over-the-counter Schedule 5 prescription item without a prescription, the cough syrups with codeine. Um, and then the bill also allows for veterinarian access, so the rule, um, the rules include some of that language. Um, and then it also requires a pharmacist, proposes to require a pharmacist check the PMP on a patient prior to selling an over-the-counter cough syrup with codeine, one of those Schedule 5 items. So um, certainly welcome to go on the board's website and, and look at the entirety of that filing, um, but those are, I think, the highlights. Yeah, thanks, Sue. And I know some of those changes have been uh, a legislative priority for the board for a couple of years. So uh, while yeah. the 2020 session seems like a long time ago now, as we prepare for next session, it was good to see those finally get over the finish line last year. Absolutely. The last two changes on my list that I wanted to hit quickly, both uh, proposed notices um, relating to Chapter 3, Pharmacy Technicians, and then Chapter 5, Pharmacy Support Persons. Sue, can you highlight some of the impacts that are included in those notices? Yeah, yep. Um, and again, these are just uh, proposed notice of intended action. So it will, they'll be published and open for public comment. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing to highlight on these two um, chapter changes would be to propose that for a technician or pharmacy support person that they are uh, would be required to have their registration finalized and be registered prior to starting work in the pharmacy. Um, and the board's discussion on that in coming to that determination um, is that um, they want these individuals to be fully vetted before they're actually starting to work in the pharmacy um, and that the pre-employment process generally is a long enough time period to get that registration completed and the board's um, registration process is online and can be um, taken care of in just a matter of minutes. Um, so I think um, the those proposed notices have other changes certainly, um, but I think those are that's the highlighted item um, from those two. Great. Well, thank you for those updates. It was uh, I know uh, yesterday you did. Uh, not, excuse me, today you did quite a bit of work uh, walking through those for the board. So thank you for that and uh, appreciate you providing the updates again uh, on the podcast. So we'll let you off the hook now for all those rule updates. <laughs> the last thing that I wanted to highlight, um, and it's going to be similar to our past podcast because there's just been so much, uh, so many updates uh, relating to COVID that always seem to come down the pipeline. Uh, the last item is is really just to highlight again the HHS guidance that was provided relating to immunizations underneath the PREP Act. So I believe on previous podcasts we've uh, talked about 
um, the guidance that allows pharmacists to perform adolescent immunizations uh, to ages three through 18, talked about the guidance that was released ensuring that pharmacists can provide the COVID vaccination. Uh, and since then, there's been uh, further guidance released by HHS that allows pharma certified pharmacy technicians uh, and students to perform um, the administration of an immunization as well to ages three through 18. So definitely, again, big news from HHS and something uh, for all of you to be aware of. Sue, uh, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, does the board have um, any further guidance that's available on the website that uh, a pharmacist could check uh, just to see um, what the board has released? And I may not be phrasing that well, but uh, I think it's safe to say from the board's perspective, pharmacists can begin utilizing the guidance um, from HHS immediately. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the board fully recognizes that authority that HHS, HHS has to make that determination and give that authorization for technicians um, and interns. Of course, you know, interns were authorized already before to provide immunizations, but um, expanding that to include technicians. Um, the board recognizes that authority um, and they do have um, guidance that they put out. It pretty much reiterates what's in the HHS guidance, but I think it was more of a, a, a reason to just um, let pharmacies and pharmacists know that the board does recognize that and, and reassure them that it's something that they can certainly be doing if they're compliant with the parameters laid out in the HHS guidance. Great, and, and certainly an opportunity for pharmacies and pharmacists as more news gets released every day about a potential COVID vaccination, but also uh, we know how busy pharmacies are right now providing flu vaccines. So an opportunity there uh, to begin utilizing some of that expanded authority granted by the federal government. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sue, for your time today. That's a great update, lots of helpful information and another great board meeting. I believe the board will meet again in January. Is that correct? That is. I believe January 12th and 13th. Great. Well, I will uh, make sure that's on my calendar and I look forward to uh, talking to you again uh, on the podcast come January. But thank you to all of you who have tuned in to listen to the Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast. Uh, as always, feel free to reach out to me or Sue for any additional questions. We're always happy to help provide any clarification on some of the information we provided. Uh, but otherwise, uh, thank you. Thank you, Sue. And uh, thank you to all those who listened today.